look with me, we are in Luke 24. We'll read the text first. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Before we we walk through this account, which we will do, let's take a stock for a moment of some, some, the importance of the resurrection. Why is the resurrection important? I'll just give you a, 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 some brief thoughts to think about as we enter into this resurrection story. The, the question kind of might come up, well, why was the bodily resurrection of Jesus really that important to the apostles? Why was it really that important to the early disciples? Uh, the answer is that it was very important. And I just want to take a moment to, to look at a couple of things. We're going to look at uh, two main evidences this morning at why we know that the apostles and the disciples believed that the resurrection was important for them. The first is the uh, re- early recorded sermons that came from the apostles. The, the resurrection was very key into what they were preaching. If we look in Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. And they encountered this, this lame man. You know the story, this beggar. He was begging to be healed, and they healed him. And he's astounded and grateful, and he's running and leaping and praising God, right? And he attracts quite a crowd. There's a lot of attention. And Peter begins to preach to them. He's telling them the, the truth about Jesus. He says in verse 15 of chapter 3, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witness. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Talking about the lame man. The the resurrection was a key part of what was preached from the very beginning. That Christ had risen from the grave. That they had killed the author of life and that he had been risen from the grave. But Paul's sermons also recorded for us in Acts say the same thing. He was preaching to the church at Antioch and Pisidia. He makes a strong reference to the resurrection. Acts chapter 13, verse 29, he says, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you this good news that what God promised to the fathers This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus was important to the early apostles and disciples. They they saw it as central to the theme of the gospel, the good news. 
Paul goes on to demonstrate from the scriptures how raising Jesus from the dead, God was fulfilling his promise that an heir of David would reign on his throne forever. So they were weaving this promise from the Old Testament in understanding that the resurrection was key to knowing that God was fulfilling his promises. You see, the disciples knew that Jesus was raised from the dead and was living. They, they knew this. In fact, Jesus is portrayed very much in charge and in, in control of history. Peter proclaims in Acts 5.30, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The other thing I would point to this morning is why the resurrection is important, why it was important to the apostles and disciples, and why it's important to us, is that the theology of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are hinged on the resurrection. If we look at Acts chapter 2, first... uh, Sorry, Peter explains in Acts chapter 2 that David's words in Psalm 16 about not letting God's Holy One see corruption, that is death, wasn't speaking about David. He was speaking prophetically about the Messiah to come. Peter is looking back to the Old Testament, looking at Psalm 16, and he's saying there's this promise that, that the Holy One wouldn't see corruption. And so the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead is, is important because it proves that God fulfills his promises. David did die, King David did die, isn't in the grave, but Jesus has been raised. It, it proves that the Old Testament prophecies about Christ would be, have been fulfilled. In the New Testament, we learn that Christ being raised from the dead was essential for our sins to be forgiven. Because of our sinful nature and, and the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, as, as Lindsay was saying before, we have all died a spiritual death. Christ had to die as a perfect sacrifice, but Christ must also live to conquer death and lead us out of death. Paul makes a forceful argument for the bodily resurrection of Christ and how it is tied to our own salvation and our own hope of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15:22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So the, the theology of the new covenant is is built on this resurrection of Christ. He he must be made alive or we're still dead in our sins. We're still dead in Adam. We see another important aspect of the resurrection in in Paul's statement at the opening of his letter to Romans. In Romans 1, 3 through 4, I'll read this. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying here in Romans? He's saying that Jesus' resurrection from the dead declared him to be the Son of God. It was was vindication. It It was God's stamp of approval. Christ had to raise from the dead it proved his sonship, that he was the son of God. As we gather to look at this text this morning, we have to acknowledge first that the Bible knows nothing 
of an unresurrected Savior. We need to establish that fact. The, the Bible, the clear teaching of the Bible is the bodily resurrection of Christ. It doesn't know anything of an unresurrected Savior. Christianity and our own Christian witnesses is built squarely on the resurrection. The resurrection filled the testimonies of the early Christian church and is the only way to make sense of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the promises of the New. Jesus is alive and he's reigning and is the head of his body, the church, which we are part of. But we're here this morning to look at this passage in Luke 22 and and see what we can learn together. Our, Our main idea this morning is this. Following Jesus from the empty tomb is a work of God. I want to show you this morning that following Christ, following Jesus from that empty tomb is a work of God. It's not our work. It's a work of God. Following Jesus isn't a a man-made phenomenon. It isn't the result of an institution, the church. It doesn't rest in the work of a committee or a council. It rests in the hands of our sovereign and mighty Lord. Following Jesus from the tomb is a work of God. We're going to examine that in three points. Let's think about our first point first. We are pursued by God even when we are walking in unbelief. We are pursued by God even when we are walking in unbelief. And I'll show you how I'm getting that from the text. It might not be obvious from a quick reading as I did from the text that we are pursued by God even when walking in unbelief. But let's think about the women that we encounter at the beginning of our passage And let's understand that they are walking in unbelief. They are walking in unbelief. They haven't believed what Jesus told them about his resurrection. And neither have the eleven or the other disciples. But we'll see that even in their unbelief, God is pursuing them. Let's look again at our passage. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Our our chapter starts here in the early hours of Easter morning. If we look back two verses into chapter 23, we see that the women observe where Christ had been laid in the tomb. They went and prepared spices before the end of Friday. And then it says in verse 56 that they observed the Sabbath according to the commandment. They were, they were pious women. They loved Jesus. They were part of his ministry. They followed him. They were disciples. They knew that he was the truth, the way, and the life. And they saw him crucified. And they saw his lifeless body taken and put in a tomb. And they prepared spices. They prepared, they were preparing for burial. They waited until they could get access to the tomb and they were going that morning to prepare him for his final rest. They didn't think that Jesus was going to rise from the the dead. That's the point of what the angel is telling them. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you here with your spices to prepare the body of Christ? So they were walking in a, in a level of unbelief. It's, it's amazing, though, that God is pursuing them. They, they shouldn't be there at the tomb with the spices. 
but God knows they're going to be there, and he sends two angels. And, and along the way, it doesn't say it in this passage, but in another gospel, along the way, they're wondering how they're going to roll back the stone. We know from other occurrences of, of Christ in the gospels, post-resurrection, he doesn't need the stone not to be there to, to escape from the tomb. He just suddenly appears in locked rooms, and he, he, he doesn't need that stone to be removed. But God rolls back the stone, it, it appears, so that they can look in and see the empty grave clothes. He, he sends angels to them. He is pursuing them even when they walk in unbelief. He does not leave any of his sheep to wander away and get lost or be devoured by an enemy. God is pursuing these women. He's also pursuing other characters in this story, this event that's recorded in Luke. We should mention them briefly at this point. Skip ahead and look at verse 12. We see the apostle Peter hearing the story from the women who have returned from the empty tomb. He is unlike the other disciples. He, the other disciples shrug it off. It's a fantastical story. They're confused. It's an idle tale. They're not expecting it. They're, they're, they're protected. They're hiding. They are behind closed doors. These women come with the story, and Peter is unlike them. Hearing the story from the women, he, he rises and he runs to the tomb. It's kind of ironic as I was studying. He, he does the same thing the women do, perhaps for a different reason. He, he runs to find the living among the dead. He's running to look at the, the evidence. He's not met by the angels, but he does go into the tomb and he does see the empty grave cloths. God is pursuing Peter. This is Peter that he called from his life of fishing. This is Peter that saw him uh, transcended on the mountain. This is Peter that walked on water. This is Peter that made the good confession, you are Christ of God. This is also Peter that turns back on Christ, who denied him three times, as was predicted, and who is now hiding with the other 11 disciples. God is pursuing Peter, and he does it through these women. He does it through their proclamation. They come to him with this news. This, they tell this story of meeting the angels and seeing the empty tomb, and, and God is reaching out to Peter and drawing him to himself through their witness, and he runs to the tomb. He walks away marveling. Let us take heart from these verses that, that we are pursued by God even when we're walking in unbelief. God is determined to have Peter. He sends the angels. He sends the women. He plucks Peter up from his place of hiding. And now in broad daylight, Peter's running to the empty tomb. We should take comfort in the fact that God is a God who pursues unbelievers. But, but do we take comfort in that fact? Do we even glorify God because he's so gracious and kind? We should make that the point of our, our praise daily. We should meditate on that. We need to cultivate in our own hearts that great love for Christ that he pursues us when we are unbelieving. And it should affect the way that we pray. It should affect the way that we think of the salvation of others. I was thinking of this. See if these sound different to you. They sound a little silly, but see if they sound different to you. Lord, 
please help Billy somehow to figure out how to know you. Think about that in light of this understanding that it is God who's pursuing the lost. Lord, please keep pursuing Billy until you've made him one of your own. And Lord, glorify yourself to everyone when we acknowledge together that you were good and kind and powerful to bring him to yourself despite his massive unbelief. That is the, that is the heart of God to pursue those who don't believe. And that's, that can, can influence and influence how we pray. How about doubt? Do you ever struggle with doubt? Do you ever waver in your own faith? Then be encouraged this morning that God pursues us even in our unbelief. You aren't beyond the reach of God's hand. Peter locked himself away from the Romans and Jews. He was a, actually a prisoner of his own doubt, his own shame. But in a moment, his hope was filled. His heart was filled with hope. God sent to him these disciples with their encounter of the empty tomb. You too can rise and run to Jesus. In your failure or your doubt, God loves you with unfathomable grace and unmeasurable love. He is calling you and pursuing you. So we should respond and move towards God with the faith that he supplies. So we see that these disciples were looking for the living among the dead. They were walking in unbelief, but God knew that they would be there, so he sent messengers to them. He was pursuing them. But we also see from this passage, our second point, we are empowered by God to recall and to believe in the words of Christ. We are empowered by God to recall and believe in the words of Christ. Recall back to our passage, middle of verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Verse 8. Uh, Luke records three instances of Christ teaching about this, the fact that he will die and be raised again. And I have no doubt that there were probably more occasions when he taught this, he predicted this. But he does give us these three accounts. And Jesus was very clear that he would die and be raised again on the third day. But the people listening didn't understand. You could look in Luke 18, 34. After predicting his death and resurrection, Luke records, but they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. I think what Luke is trying to explain to us in Luke 24 is that by God's power and God's timing, he caused these disciples to remember and to believe the words of Jesus. These women had heard the prediction multiple times from the lips of Christ, as had the other disciples, but they had not understood. Uh, We see the disciples scattered and scared following the crucifixion. The truth was, was hidden from them. They didn't grasp it. But then, empowered by God, these women recall and believe the words of Jesus. We see in Scripture two things working together in salvation. Uh, God and his kindness through us, his children, are to share the words of the gospel. And he is at work in the minds and hearts of people to believe the words of the gospel. These two things are working together. The words of the gospel must be shared. It must be preached. And I'm thinking of Romans 10. 9 through 14. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In this passage, Paul is highlighting human responsibility to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. He's also showing us the human action of, of preaching the good news so that people can hear and believe. So that, that is clear. We must preach the gospel and people must hear and believe. What's also clear is that God must supply the faith. We know from Ephesians 2, God says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Get this, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that, so, no, so that no one may boast. We think of Lydia in the Bible. Lydia from Acts 16. She was a devout Jew. She was living in the Roman city of Philippi, and she had gathered on the Sabbath. And, and Paul was passing through with his companions, and they were preaching the gospel. They went to a place where they thought some people might be gathered for prayer. And he sits down, and he, he speaks to a group of women that had gathered. And he's sharing the words of the gospel. He's sharing these words of faith in Christ. Perhaps he was teaching what he had done in the past when he was in a Jewish context. He was showing from the Old Testament how Christ had to come and suffer and die and be raised. He was showing them from Moses and the prophets. But it's key in verse 14, Acts chapter 16, verse 14. It says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well. Did you notice that? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. There were other women there who heard the message and and presumably they didn't respond. They're not recorded. Perhaps they did. But it's God who opened the heart of Lydia to hear the message. It is the one that the Lord is working on. He's not only pursuing them. He's causing them to hear and believe the words of Christ. We must all believe but it is the work of God to open the heart. Uh, like the women at the tomb who recalled the words of Christ and became believing witnesses of his resurrection, Lydia's heart is, is opened to God to pay attention to the gospel. That is a, a big thought, a, a glorious thought for us to consider today. As we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, we are we're also recognizing that our own faith and our own belief in the gospel is a, a work of God in us. We are empowered by God to hear and believe, and this should cause in us deep gratitude. The thing that is required for me to do is to believe in the Lord Jesus. It's a God. It's a work that God does in me. Salvation is from the Lord, from the first to the last. Do you know that this morning? Do you consider the resurrection of Christ in your heart, full of gratitude that it is Christ that is doing the work in you to believe? Or perhaps this morning, the, the, resurre- the resurrection of Christ and the things pertaining to salvation are really a, a distant concern to you. You've never understood or, or felt your heart open or warm to the gospel. Then know today that God calls you to believe on the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. He requires 
that we would each repent of our sins and turn towards Christ in faith and pray that the Lord would open your heart to the truth of the gospel, that God would pursue you and call you and, make, and help you to believe and lead you to belief. Not only does God pursue us when we walk in unbelief and empower us to recall and believe in his words, lastly, he leads us from the empty tomb to be witnesses of his grace and power. He leads us from the empty tomb to be witnesses of his grace and power. Recall from Luke 24, verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe. Uh, These women returned from the tomb in the meeting with the angels, having recalled the words of Christ, and they shared their experience. They shared their encounter with the disciples. And it's clear from this passage that the disciples aren't persuaded by the testimony of the women. They considered an idle tale. The various reactions are what we would expect might happen. In following Christ and sharing the good news, not all are going to respond with belief. It is a work of God. But it is the the call of the disciple to follow Christ and to share that good news with others. It is the call of the disciple to reflect the work that God has been doing on us to others. Before his ascension, Christ spoke these words. Later in chapter 24, he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The, reactions, the reaction of these first disciples to, to share what they had witnessed is really the common experience that we see over and over again in, in the, books, the books that follow from the gospel. I'm thinking of the books of Acts. The book of Acts. Uh, my mind goes to Stephen as he was appointed to serve in the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6, and he becomes the first martyr that's recorded in Acts chapter 6. Uh, I think it's chapter 7, actually. But he's talking about this faith in Christ, and he actually bears witness that heavens open up, and he proclaims to see Christ standing at the Father's right hand, and he is stoned for that. I think of Philip, who, because of the persecution in Jerusalem, goes out and is the first to preach in Samaria. And he's bearing the, the good news. He's bearing witness to what he has experienced, telling others about Christ. And those in Samaria come to faith. I think of Peter, how he is sent out by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts to uh, Cornelius to proclaim the good news to him. Or Saul, how Saul encountered Jesus on the way to persecute Christians in Damascus and was converted and, and became Paul after his conversion. And he became one who continually was bearing witness to what Christ had done to the empty tomb. But the privilege of knowing and bearing witness about Jesus isn't reserved for believers who had firsthand knowledge. We are able to know Christ now through the faithful witness of Christians throughout the ages, hundreds of years who have been proclaiming this message that we might know. And so it is our privilege also to become a witness of the empty tomb. Recall the words of Peter in his letter, 1 Peter 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are to be faithful witnesses here in Rollsville. We should draw inspiration from the Bible. I'm thinking of the church in Thessalonica that heard of Christ, not through personal firsthand encounter with Jesus, but through the preaching of the gospel. I want you to notice that they not only believed and endured patiently the trials that afflicted them, but they also have a testimony and a witness that extends far beyond their church. This is a beautiful picture of the church that I would love Christ Church Rollsville to be. First Thessalonians says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In the case of this church in Thessalonica, it seems that God had ordained trials and afflictions for them, and he caused them to walk through those trials with great patience and joy. And also it says that the word sounded forth from them. These people had turned from their empty way of life and were now experiencing the fullness of life that comes from Jesus being raised from the dead. And as they waited in patient expectation, they sounded forth the word of the Lord to those that they encountered. Their reputation as followers of a living Savior that was expected to return and save them from the wrath to come grew and grew. And so we see it is God who is empowering us to be witnesses to others about the gospel of Christ. We, we aren't responsible for anyone's response to our testimony. Our testimony is that combination of our, of our life and our, and our words, our actions and how we live. It's the words that we use to explain the gospel. God is going to work through this witness to reveal himself to men and women and children. This Easter, as we consider the resurrection and the the witness of those first disciples, we should examine our own lives. We should consider what is our witness. We should take this opportunity to renew our desires and our efforts at sharing the gospel with others. We should examine areas of fear, selfishness, and we should repent of those things that are hindering our confession. We should call out to God who has faithfully given grace to Christians throughout the ages to give grace also to us. We can testify to the grace of God in Jesus Christ if God will empower and move through us. In summary, we must remember what we've already discovered in this passage. God is pursuing people who are unbelievers. He's drawing people to himself. And you mustn't forget that it is God that will take our words and supply faith to those who hear. He is empowering people to believe on the words of the Lord Jesus. He is the one moving He takes spiritually dead people and makes them alive and gives them faith to believe. We also are empowered and enabled by God through his Holy Spirit 
to be faithful witnesses to the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the life that we have in Christ, the incredible grace that you've given us to take us who were dead and alienated from you, were full of our own self-importance and were self-deceived, Father, that you would pursue us and cause us to believe in the words of Christ, to believe that we could have life in him, to believe that he has been raised from the dead. We know, Father, that this is a work of God. This is a work of your spirit, and we are grateful this morning to stand in that. We are excited to be together to, to testify with one voice and one heart the risen Savior. We pray, Father, that that love for you, that excitement would work itself out in all aspects of our life. How we live, how we suffer, how we love, how we work, parent. All that we do, Father, would be a glorious testimony to you. The words we use, Father, in relationship to our neighbors and to those that we meet, the words that we use here to talk of your grace and kindness to us, would just reflect, Father, your great power, this power over death that we see in the resurrection, this power over sin, this confirmation that Jesus is your Son and now sits at your right hand. Father, we want to walk in that truth. We bless your holy name. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with a great love for you that just bubbles over into all aspects of our life, Father, that permeates all that we do and all that we think. Father, thank you for the resurrection. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.